Good morning. Yeah, just a little bit slow, huh? Yeah, whatever. Anyway, dance camp coming up for our kids. It's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, I'm glad to be back from vacation. Thanks for your prayers. Feel rejuvenated, recharged. I, I didn't realize I was walking around with my Mountain Dew out front, and people went, uh-oh. But it's caffeine-free, okay? Don doesn't let me drink the other ones. And, uh, but it's, uh, hey, I'm, I'm just fired up, ready to preach, and I want you to open your Bibles over to the fifth chapter of Matthew. Bring your Bibles. We use them here, and the church said, and we love God's Word. A lot of them come up on the screens, the verses and stuff, but it's something about turning to your own pages. Yes, turning to your iPad, turning to your phones, whatever, digital church. I remember years ago when they told me that was going to happen, I went, yeah, whatever, and boy, is it really happening. I heard something the other day, it's, it's now one out of every four people that read the Scriptures are reading it online if they read the Scriptures, so it's uh, catching on, I'd say. Uh, this morning, I want to talk about restoring relationships. I've been thinking about this talk for about two months, and I just thought, hey, this would be a good time in Summer Splash to bring it. The, the truth is, relationships are incredible, and they add value, and they bring joy to your soul. Relationships have the same capacity to stress you, to frustrate you, to uh, keep you awake at night. Do you agree with me? So this morning, I want to talk about restoring relationships. This is a real practical word, and you can maybe use it today. If not, next week, next month, next year, there'll be a time that you'll feel uh, challenged. Because those that are Christ followers, those that say they believe in Jesus, they've repented of their sins, they believe the gospel, they're being transformed by the literal grace of Jesus Christ. Even them, even us, we still stumble and fail and fall. You know, even when you have the best intentions and you seek to sanctify your life, sanctification is just being set apart for the purposes of God, just a big theological word. But when we purpose to set our hearts aside and to be holy and to have more of Christ, we still have people that bruise us, that rub us the wrong way. And, and, and don't bump anybody next to you. <laughs> if that person's sitting next to you, then, okay, that'll be marriage counseling this week. But, uh, but sometimes because of our spiritual immaturity, we push people away. We suppress uh, the resentment. We, we don't forgive them fully. And sometimes relationships get strained and broken. So here's my prayer today. Would you allow the Holy Spirit to do some soul searching <laughs> and let him see if there's any offensive relationship that you know of in your life that Christ wants to repair? It would bring honor to his name, restoring broken relationships. If you'll just open your Bibles as I instructed you to Matthew chapter 5, I just want you to look there. I've preached on the Beatitudes before, a great section of Scripture, but I want you to look at verse 9. Chapter 5, verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. They'd be called the daughters of God. In the message, I went and read it from Eugene. It says, You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of competing or fighting. You are about being one that brings healing to relationships. And we're peacemakers. We're, we're the children of God. We're to, uh, the sons and daughters of the Most High King. We're to bring peace to a community and harmony and life. And a lot of times Christians are, man, they're doing just the opposite. I mean, it's like, man, that's why some people probably don't believe. And so why is relational healing so critical? It just is because it, it, it calls for you not to die. And the more I follow Jesus, the more I'm learning the Christian life, the life of discipleship is about death. 
And in death always comes resurrection. Already this morning I was talking to somebody and they talked about kind of the death of a relationship and now out of that has come resurrection and newness and a new thing is going to happen in their home because of the grace of Jesus. That's the way it always is. Relationships. This morning some of you could already write in the margin if you want to like yeah i already thought of one name or two names or five names or whatever i want you i want to just get into this why is relational healing so critical let me give you the first reason broken relationships hurt you but they hurt the body of christ i talk to us a lot about we don't live in isolation but we walk and live in community of the saints so when you and i are broken when we're damaged when we're not willing to restore we hurt others we we hurt the name of jesus we, we hurt the body of christ there's a there's stress that's in heart disease loss of sleep anxiety guilt uh you waste time you, you put things off it, it just really gets tough and this damage is real and and the thing is if we're not willing to deal with it i think god's displeased i, I think it cripples us so looking at this first point broken relationships hurt me and you and the body of christ and they cripple us and sometimes the church is not known for its vitality in life. It's known for being a crippled church. And we don't have a crippled Savior. We have a glorious Savior. We have a redeeming God. We have an all-powerful Redeemer. And He lives. Let's look at the second point. Broken relationships hurt your reputation. Your reputation just gets tarnished. It, it gets damaged in the process. A, a relationship blows up at work. It blows up in your family, it blows up in your neighborhood, it blows up in some association you're part of, and then people begin to gossip and slander comes in, and maybe you've been a part of the slander and the gossip, or maybe you just participate by, by listening. But something happens that destructs and tears away, and some of the stories that are repeated are false in their lies, and some are true, but the devil has a heyday, and the church suffers and relational healing doesn't go forward and uh, let me just be so real some of you know what i'm talking about all of you know what i'm talking about sometimes you see people can i you don't have to raise your hand have you ever been to the grocery store to that sacred place called Publix, and seen somebody you really didn't want to see have you ever been to starbucks and got coffee and they were in front of you Ugh. have you ever been to the movie and how dare them sit on your row I mean, it just, it just happens, and God wants to heal. The third thing, broken relationships hurt your worship. We, we declared in song today, I've come to do battle. I've come to fight. Not what it said. It said, I've come to worship. And when you and I have broken relationships and they're not restored, there's, there's a level of intimacy with Christ. It, it, it just interferes. It, it blocks out my connective, connectivity. I'm going to make up a word here if I don't watch it. You know, we're just not connected to him. We, we don't abide in him fully. We, we miss out. We're, we're, we've come to engage in the worship of the king and the splendor of his name. But sometimes we just get knocked out. So a soul search and uh, you harbor bitterness. Uh, and God says, I want to fix it. I've called you a peacemaker. You're a child of God. You're a son of God. I know, Lord, but not, not that one. The fourth one, broken relationships hurt church unity. In this room, we strive for unity in the body of Christ at Ryan Road called Christ Community Church. Greater than that, we strive for unity in the body of Christ across the globe. But the church sometimes struggles and it misses and unity is needed. And sometimes churches can't work together because there's a, a past broken relationship 
And God wants to restore. That, that's why I lead a movement called Pray for Montgomery. My heart is to have every pastor. And I love the pastors of our city. And I pray for 50 pastors on Sunday morning. And I love to pray for those that proclaim the word of God, that teach and lead. And I love to pray for pastors in our city. These 50 aren't just in our city. They're from here to California. But many, many of them are in the city that I participate with. But sometimes you can have a rift, and it's broken, and you, you just don't cooperate. You, you just don't deal together. A, a church split happens, some kind of relationship. I want to ask you a question. Did you know hours before Jesus died, you know what he did? He prayed. And he prayed for you and me. Matter of fact, I can prove it from John 17, 20 and 21. Write it down. Write down John 17, 20 and 21. The Word of God says, I'm praying not only for those disciples, but also for all who ever believe in me because of their testimony. My prayer is for all of them is that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, Father, that just as you are in me and I am in you, so that you will be in us and the world will believe you sent me in Jesus Christ. I says, I pray, Father, that they will be split. That's not what he says. Jesus says, I pray that they would be one in us, in the Trinity. And that's a great verse, and it's fun to talk about, and it's fun to read. It's like, yeah, but to practice that, to be one, I want to be many. And Jesus says, there's one body. There's many parts, but there's one body. So in this summer season, I'm just asking the Lord, Lord, continue to unify us and make us one as a body of faith, but do a greater healing. The fifth point is this, broken relationships hurt church effectiveness. The church is just not effective as, as it needs to be if we get to running off in our own direction. We run off because we're, uh, just, we don't want to have fellowship. We don't want to be on their team. We don't want to be on their ministry team. We don't want to park there, near them. We don't want to do... You know, the thing is, because our church is not huge, it's not like, you know, I mean, we, we've had seasons of multiple services, and right now God's got us with all this transition, and we're in one service. So you can't even go to a service that you don't... Like, which I think is kind of funny. Because like right now, there's people in here you don't like, you're just kind of stuck with them. Now... Don't look around, because that could be incriminating. You, you, you don't have to sit with them. And you're like, praise the Lord. And some of you said, I, I have people, this is the new thing about contemporary worship. Are y'all one of those churches that turns the lights down? <laughs> and I'm just, I'm laughing. I'm going, 17 years ago when we started this church, it was all about a style of intimacy introducing to our community to get close and connected to Christ through praise and worship. And, and that still happens, but a lot of people just go, y'all cut the lights down out there. And, and as I get older, we cut them up a little bit more so I can see a little bit more. But there's also a time where, isn't it really cool, though, that you really can just go vertical with him? Do I have a witness right there where you don't have to, like, have them on display? Some of you are like, if you, don't, if you don't think so, just come here and stand with me on Sunday morning. I mean, you know, you, you got all these lights in your eyes and you're blinded and, yeah, it, it just is what it is. But Jesus says, I, I want them to be one. I, I want the church to be effective. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus talks about, and this is how they'll know my, they're my disciples, by the way they love each other. And this is how we've interpreted it in 2013. They will know that they are my disciples because they have a CCC sticker on their car. Now, I want you to get those stickers. Please go by there and get those. I think they're a great witness. I'm encouraging that. You're saying they'll know we're Christians by the Christian T-shirts we where? And then we cuss. Well, that's probably not a great witness. They'll know we're Christians by the way we backbite. Well, that's probably not going to turn them on to Jesus. 
They'll know we're Christians by the way we, because we go to church all the time. Well, you know, whatever. Okay. So he moves through here. Broken relationships just hurt us. By love, the world knows. Because, you know, we're on display. I mean, people are watching like, man, is that what it means to be a woman or a person, a man or a child or a teenager? Is that what it means to be a person of faith? You're like, that's what it means. It means I'm following Jesus. It means I fail. Sometimes I fail miserably, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to learn how to love those outside the walls of the church and not slander them. And then I want you to fill in here. It says a blank doesn't work. Resentment doesn't work. Resentment just doesn't work. Uh, you know, I know you're saying, well, Keith, I don't get up in the morning and go, I want to be a resentful person. I mean, who does? I mean, if you, if you do, I mean, that's a bigger problem. But I want you to look at Job chapter 5, verse 2. I found this verse. And Job says, surely resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple. Resentment does what? It just it brings destruction to your and my soul. You guys says, have, have no part of it. It's toxic. It, it's deadly. It, it just puts you down. It, it, it's not for those that, that follow Jesus Christ. And then the next blank, just put in, uh, well, I'm just talking about it's a waste of time, but look at this. Forgive because God has forgiven you. It's the mandate of the gospel. God, I've got to forgive because you've forgiven me. And if I want to be forgiven, then I've got to forgive others. Did you notice that? And Jesus, Jesus had another great verse over in Matthew. And, and nobody practices this hardly in the church because I've never really seen it work out, but it's in the gospel. Jesus says, when you come to the altar, when, when you come and the Holy Spirit instructs you and reminds you of something you've not done, what does the scripture say? Do aerobics in Jesus' name. No, it doesn't say that. You know what it says? It says, leave your gift at the altar. Leave your tithe. Don't leave with your tithe. Leave it at the, at the altar and leave. And go make it right, and then come back and worship. Can you imagine if we really believe that verse of Scripture, how churches would look different? I mean, can you imagine? Here comes Susie. You know, it's praising the Lord. She's head greeter. She's head teacher, whatever. And she's up here. And all of a sudden, whoops, <laughs> she just leaves. And the thing is, everybody's leaving. Everybody's like, man, bad sermon? He hadn't even started preaching yet. We're just leaving. Bad song? No, man, we're just leaving. Would that be interesting? All the, you know, where are these people going? They're going to another church. No, they're trying to make it right. Because they got to restore a relationship. That's what, the, that's what the gospel says. It's kind of one of those tough teachings of Jesus. And you just go, well, okay, Jesus. I mean, it's what you say, and it's what you're calling me to do. So all right, here we go. Look at Matthew. You're in the fifth chapter. Turn to the sixth chapter. Just turn over the other side of the page in my Bible. Some of you turn the page. Okay. Verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You don't even have to know Greek to understand what this verse means. What do you think it means? Somebody make a stab at it. Well, let me say it loud so I can hear you. What does it mean? You got to forgive others before you can be forgiven. It's like, well, man, did she stay up all night studying that and parsing the Greek? No. She just read it and said, huh, forgive others. My father forgives me. How many people in this room want to be forgiven today? Boy, I want to be forgiven. How many in this room have really sinned a lot and are in need of forgiveness? Okay? So i got to forgive others. Can I tell you all the truth? I'm going to tell you a secret. Sometimes I don't want to forgive. Just thought I'd tell you. You're the same way, aren't you? But then I remember this verse. If you really want to be forgiven, Keith. 
forgive others. And I can't, but Christ can in me. The power of the gospel. So look at Colossians 3.13. Look what it says here. Beautiful verse. He says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Just bear with one another. Bear their shortcomings. Bear their personalities. Bear whatever it is, their idiosyncrasies that drive you a little nuts. But whatever it is, do what? Forgive. Forgive that thing that's separating you from them. Forgive. I'm not saying forget. I'm saying forgive. In the, in the grace and the power of Jesus. It doesn't mean they're probably going to be your best friend. I'm not telling you to go have dinner with them. You're like, man, I don't even like them. Well, you got to love them. You got to forgive them. But you, you begin to press on. Let me tell you the greatest story that I read years ago and I read it again this week. I love reading Corey Ten Boom. The great woman of the Holocaust and her and her sister and they were survivors and they had been placed in a Nazi concentration camp. And they'd been abused and abandoned and mauled and just incredible atrocities to them. But they loved Jesus. And matter of fact, uh, Corey Ten Boom's sister Betsy died in the concentration camp due to the abuse of, of these soldiers and how horrible it was. And one day, years after the war, years after the concentration camp, and she'd been released, God was dealing with her, and she ran into one of these former prison guards. And apparently he had become a believer. And he went up to Corey Ten Boone, and he asked her a simple question. Would you forgive me? Now, this is a deeply spiritual woman. The only reason she made it through concentration camp was because of her tremendous faith. And because of that place that she had been, that things had been done to her, that's where Betsy had died. And yet, here was this guy holding out his hand saying, would you forgive me? Corey Ten had to think long and hard and just didn't want to have any part to do with it. And then she remembered the scripture and she quoted Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Coldness, clutching, overwhelming, taking her heart, stale, no intimacy with the Holy Spirit. She chose by an act of her will to forgive this soldier. And she reached and she grabbed his hand and she held it deeply as she clasped it. And tears rolled down her cheeks, knowing that she must forgive this man that had sinned against her. And every time I read about the life of Corey Ten Boom, I go, man, my faith is so weak, so timid, so shallow compared to this woman of great faith. Anytime you read, I think the movie's called The Hiding Place. It's a, it's a great thing to think about Corey Ten Boom. But she goes, she didn't only just say, I forgive you. She goes, brother, I forgive you with all my heart. With all my being, I forgive you. And guess who was released that day? Corey Ten Boom. There's no coldness. There's nothing in her heart. So what does that mean? There's something for you and I to implement. I'll give you a couple quick tools that I've shared over the years, and they're really helpful. It's the, it's the empty chair principle. This could set people free. There are people in your past that have died. And you resent, you hold harbor, you harbor anger, rage, whatever. And here's what I instruct you to do this afternoon and tonight. Get alone, pull a chair out, and go sit with Jesus and kneel down beside the chair. And place that person in the chair symbolically. And begin to pour out your grievances, your sin, your lack of forgiveness toward that person and ask the grace of Christ to cover and to circle you and to envelop you and ask him for a new heart. 
And guess what could happen today? Peace could flood your soul. Here's another possible exercise. You could write a letter and not mail it. <laughs> Somebody's really bugged you, you're chapped, you don't need to bring their thing up because they think everything's fine, but you know it ain't fine. Write a letter this afternoon. Type it out. I do that on emails a lot. <laughs> and I don't send them. Because unless the Holy Spirit filter me and get a hold of me. And then when you get through with it, hit delete. And get free. That's a real practical way just to walk in the forgiveness and restoring relationships with other people. Because our world is littered with broken relationships. The key to it all is humility. Write down somewhere in your notes. I, don't, I know there's not a lot of room today, but write down the word humility. That's the whole key to walking in restored relationships is humbling yourself. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace, and he multiplies grace to the humble of heart. And every time I've ever been at odds with somebody else, when I humbled myself before them, it doesn't mean we always got amended. It doesn't mean everything always got right. Because I remember one time I sat down with somebody in this church, and I'd asked for their forgiveness. And then with great arrogance, they told me no. And it hurt deeply. But as far as I knew, I had done that which Christ had instructed me to do. And I can't make somebody forgive me. But in my heart, by the act of my will, I chose to forgive them that day. I'd asked them for their forgiveness. And I have the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ as I've walked on through that day. You're saying, well, they have to forgive you. No, 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 no. That's not my responsibility. I have to forgive them. I, am I preaching good right now? I mean, am I preaching to your heart today? Is this helping anybody? You're like, well, yeah, man, I got it all together, preacher. You're lying. We're going to talk about lying next weekend. That's going to be a new title. Okay, here we go. The key is humility here. And then I want you to look at this. Pursue, or here, somehow I messed up. Consciously choose to give God control. The only way I know that you and I can get victory is to give God control in the chair, give him control of my heart, give him control of relationships over and over. Guys, if you don't believe this message, this message will get tested in the next 72 hours. Could get tested in the next 72 minutes. Choose to forgive. And then I want you to fill in, pursue God's peace. Above all things, pursue the peace of Christ. And may the peace of Christ guard you because of these broken relationships, because of misunderstanding, unkind words, things done to you, good things undone, refuse to allow the brokenness to rule you and ask for the strength of Jesus. Jesus, come and fill this room. Fill my friends, Lord, with the presence of your Son, Father. Fill us with love. Produce in us the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I'm like choking myself. Somehow I got this thing too tight and I know I shouldn't do this, not professional, but it was very uncomfortable. Okay, I'm better now. All right. I want you to look at this uh, quote that's going to come up by Voltaire. Look at this. Oh, maybe I was, no? Yeah, there it is. Hey, thank you. I knew, I knew, I, I, like, I was in my notes. A long dispute means that both parties are wrong. That sounds like a little ownership, doesn't it? A long dispute does what? It means that both parties are wrong. At some level, you're wrong. Now, maybe you're 1% wrong. Has anybody in the room, don't raise your hand, has anybody ever been 1% wrong? Yeah. And, and like, you know, like in your marriage, like you're never wrong, right? Yeah, or whatever. You haven't been married very long, have you? Okay. You're, you're just wrong in both parties. And a long disagreement 
realizes people aren't taking responsibility, they're not taking ownership. So God says, humble yourself. Let's, let's walk through this section, how to mend a broken relationship. Point A, take the initiative. You're a child of God. You have the Holy Spirit if you're in Christ. Just take the initiative. You're not even a child of God. God, it, it would help to take the initiative and own it and own up and say, hey, uh, you know, I've done something that maybe is a little bit part of my fault. Maybe it's all my fault. But I want to try purpose to reconcile the relationship. And you begin to work out. So uh, what happens if you initiate and the efforts are rejected? You walk in humility and grace. You pray for those that curse you. People ask me all the time, says, Keith, you know, so, such and such situation, uh, have you forgiven them? Such and such situation, are you hurt? Oh, yeah, I'm wounded. I'm a wounded healer. But I go, I choose to want to have the anointing on my life. And if I walk in forgiveness, I can have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and so can you. Now, if you don't want God's spiritual power in your life, just choose to not forgive people, and, and it, it, it'll be a fun ride. It will not be. Don't feed the fire of brokenness. When you're broken with other people, don't get people to get on side with you. I, I've done that before. Like, hey, would you come on my side? Would you be on my team? Let's just drive the wedge deeper. No, take initiative and, and act Christ-like and, uh, and, and, and just say, you know what? The gossip's got to stop. Slander's got to be over. Nobody's benefiting from this. C, accept responsibility when applicable. If, if, if it's your, uh, your shortcoming, you've taken the initiative, accept responsibility. Man, this is where I've sinned apologize. Will you forgive me? I am sorry. Those are tough words to say in our vernacular, aren't they? But they're healthy and, and they're holistic and they're, they're healing. And, and, and take the blame. Now, don't take the blame for it if it wasn't your fault. That's called lying. I mean, I'm not asking you to walk out here. Pastor said, everything's my fault. Man, my husband told me everything's my fault. Nah, everything's my fault. I'm, gonna take I'm not saying that. I'm saying being Christ-like, be humble, be broken, but accept responsibility. And if it wasn't your fault, then just say, how can I be at peace with the other person? How can we reconcile? But I'm not asking you to accept responsibility. I mean, maybe, maybe they greatly sinned against you. You know, there's, maybe there's a misunderstanding. Does anybody in this room ever get in trouble for miscommunication? Yeah. Yeah, you, you, just, you, you don't communicate clearly. Well, at that point, accept responsibility for it, you know, and, and, and grow and move. And D, I love this. Do it now because you'll never know when it'll be too late. Just make it right. I did a big funeral Thursday. I discipled a young man for six years. He, he graduated from high school, the class of 90. His father, stepfather, was a very successful banker, 70 years old, had never been in the hospital a day of his life, was in his retirement home in North Georgia. Last Sunday morning, he had a massive heart attack and fell over dead. And so I spent time with the family this week, and as we walked through some stuff, it was so neat to know that relationships were intact and they were healthy and they did things now and they didn't have this long list like, well, we'll get to that one day or we'll make it right. I mean, you know, when you have a massive heart attack, it's not like you're dying of cancer and you got plenty of time to make amends and make it all right with people. And, you know, personally, we don't get to choose, but how many, I, I kind of choose, I would like to die that way where nobody has to suffer around me in terms of wiping drool off my mouth or taking care of me for years or whatever, that Jesus just takes me. You know, that'd be the way to go. But there's also a hard side of that because it's so sudden and impactful and you're, you're just blown out of your gourd and you're not ready for that. But here it is. I'm just thinking, do it now. Because you never know when it'll be too late to do something you should have done. So I, I don't know when my last day is. Neither do you. Every time I get in the car, I'm thinking about, man, this is a faith adventure. 
Not because I'm such a bad driver, because you are. No, not, not because I'm getting in the car. I'm thinking thousands of pounds are driving down the road, and I'm doing this with my steering wheel. I don't text, but I do talk on my phone. Help him, Jesus. And I got a little speaker. I'm trying to get better. But, but, I, but I really try to drive well. And, and, and I've seen some of you, and some of you drive with your knees, and you're putting makeup on, and you're driving your car. I mean, help them, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Who's driving that car? And I don't know. I mean, maybe I could go out, and I could, you know, have a massive or whatever, but God just wants us to do it now. And look at E. Refocus on God. God, we just want to refocus on you. Lord, we want you to uh, be, be the, the center point of our life, Lord. I want to replace anger with forgiveness. Lord, I just want to choose to forgive because, you know, you're saying, well, Keith, I've, I've heard plenty of forgiveness messages and it possibly couldn't be for me. You're probably the very person why I'm preaching this message today. For some reason, I was just compelled to say that I've got to go to Matthew 5 and 6 and we've got to begin to look at this because if we don't deal with things effectively, they spread and they grow, becomes gangrene to our soul and nobody gets nourished. There, there's a prayer I pray a lot for you. I asked the Lord to refresh me that I might refresh others with the presence of Christ in me. Would you write that down for your life? Lord, cause me, refresh me, Lord, that I might refresh others. That's my whole premise for preaching, is that I would proclaim the one that is life, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we would focus on him, and that he would refresh us by the wiping away of our sins. Then, that we might refresh others as we have been forgiven, we would forgive others in the strength and the name of Jesus Christ. Instead, we could, uh, I wrote this down, the mark of community is true biblical community is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of a reconciling spirit. You will have conflict. Jesus said you will have trouble in this world, and you will. But to be a reconciler, because he's a great reconciler, that's healing. So forgiveness never means forgetting. It means pressing on. It means taking the higher road. Not bringing up. Uh, some of you, do some of you tend to get real historical when you're in a tight relationship and you recall the past? Yeah, some of us do that, don't we? And it never helps, does it? And you say, well, I thought we already dealt with that. You already said you forgave me. You haven't forgiven somebody if you're still bringing it up. You, you know, you just kind of got through it, but you didn't really forgive them. And God wants us to press on to new ground in His Son today, and we're required to reconcile, to restore, and to renew. So some simple ways. I just wrote extra points on here. They're not in your notes. I don't know where you're going to put them, but I think they can help. Here they are. Pray. Pray first. You've got a tough assignment. You've got a tough relationship. Just pray, pray, pray. Pray your heart out. Pray it through. Ask God. People start gossiping about you. People start slandering you. People hurt you. Pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray for those that hurt you. Believe the gospel. Point two, go first. Be the first one to initiate and work toward the awkwardness and try to make it right as far as it depends on you. Third, think about them. Put their interests ahead of yours. The Apostle Paul says, consider others better than yourself. Man, is that hard? It's impossible. But in Christ, there's grace to do it. Another point, point four, admit to them. As I talked about earlier, admit that you did something. The fifth, go after the problem. Just run after the problem. Hit it head on. I don't know about you. I like to ignore problems. I'm getting better than I was. I still got a long ways to go. I don't, man, I like to encourage and exhort. But as a senior pastor, I had to learn to face problems. And you have to learn to face problems because there's healing in Jesus' name. How many people believe that today? There's healing. Jesus breaks every chain if we offer it to him. So don't ignore it. Identify it. 
And then cooperate. Lord, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to partner with the Holy Spirit, bring healing. And then try to get back together with a person if you can. Today, if some people take this message of the gospel serious, there's going to be healing and wholeness in your life. And it can be a great thing for the sake of the kingdom. Here it is. Message truth. Know that relationships are worth restoring. They're just worth it. They're worth it to God. They're worth it to the sake of the community of the church. And they're just worth it. They're just right. I don't want to get to heaven and God says, okay, Keith, you're getting in by the blood of Jesus. And you're going to do this. And I got a few crowns for you to present back to me because you were faithful in this and this and this. But we need to talk about this. You had a few challenges here, son. You weren't willing to restore some relationships that went awkward, and I wanted to make it right. So I just put a big box here. Know they're worth restoring. And I want you to listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Do everything possible on your part to live in peace with everybody. See, it's our part. My part of the gospel is to do what I can do through the strength of Christ to make it right with another person. So, Lord, I want to trust you. I want to bring it to you. I want to be a peacemaker. I don't want to repress it. I don't want to suppress it. Lord, I want to confess it. I want you to write two words, and I'm going to close. Write down the word confess. Confess your sin to the Lord. Confess your sins to one another, James says, and there will be healing. And then release it. Let the offender go. Today, we're going to do a great song, and this altar is open. I'm going to invite many of you to come. I think this message calls for a response, definitely in your heart, in your action. But today, fill the altar, flood the altar, talk to the Lord, bring that person with you if you need to. The team's going to sing a great song. God is able. We love to sing it. My God is able. Well, let's put him to test. God, you're able to restore that which is broken. You're a great, triumphant God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you're healing people even this morning as we've spoken the word of God. Lord, I pray your word would find places to rest. I pray your spirit would find a place to well up. I pray, Jesus, you would liberate men and women, boys and girls this morning to wholeness, to renew and restore relationships that have been broken. God, come and move among us, for you're the great reconciler. Defend us, God. We declare you are Lord.